Good morning. Good morning. Well, have you had some coffee today? You're a lively bunch. It's good to see you on this Sunday morning. Um, you know, you don't have to be co- be a coffee drinker in order to be lively on a Sunday morning. Um, if you were to get on a plane right now and fly all the way over to the Middle East, go to Jerusalem, um, there's an empty tomb over there. And our Savior's not there. Amen. Uh, that does more for me than the best coffee ever could. Amen. So that's why we can be lively every Sunday. Rain or shine, wet or dry, coffee or no coffee. I'll stop there before I make a fool of myself. <laughs> Just a few announcements. Uh, first of all, thanks so much to um, everyone who made VBS a success this last week. Um, we had we averaged around 30-ish kids and adults, uh, 30-ish kids, 30-ish adults each night, and so it was a good week. Um, thankful so much for our VBS teams, Callie Broyles, Kayla Forehand, and Carrie Owen, who was our director. Um, so it was a good week, and just thanks to our church for being the kind of church that wants to have this kind of outreach to our community. Um, next Sunday night is our monthly business meeting, and the agenda is posted on the bulletin board in the foyer. If you need to get something on the agenda, make sure you talk to me by Wednesday. If you have not, Jerry, is there still time to sign up for Centric Kid? No. Okay. Okay. All right. Then we'll remove that announcement. Um, I'm going to say something, Ken, about the blessing boxes. Um, do we want to do June 15th or we want to do June 22nd? Okay. Uh, realize that we're six days into the month of June, and it seems like just a few weeks ago that we sent blessing boxes to Alaska uh, for Arctic Barnabas Ministries. But um, we want to send out boxes, uh, more boxes uh, sometime around the 15th, so there's, there's not much time you to get uh, stuff to put in the boxes. Um, however, there is a list on your way out the door, and there is a box that is full. I think I about threw out my back moving it from the fellowship hall to the foyer because we challenged our BBS kids this week to help provide donations for the blessing boxes. And on your way out, just look at that box. It is filled to overflowing, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, another announcement, uh, next Saturday, what are we going to do, 6, 6.30, what time? Six o'clock, there'll be a, a, okay, 6, 6.30, Cherokee time, Cherokee time. Um, fish Fry 30, how's that? We'll make our own time. Fish Fry 30, uh, we'll have a Fish Fry fundraiser. We want to raise money to, to help uh, build a covered awning for the slab that, that uh, the old fellowship hall set on. So uh, if you have any questions about what you might want to bring, um, you can talk to the guys. They've done this umpteen times. Finally, I want to say thank you um, on behalf of my family. Thank you so much for your generosity over the last two Sundays. Um, we really appreciate how you always think about us and, and, uh, and meet our needs. Any other announcements before we have a call to worship? And you were talking real loud back there.
Well, I think they enjoyed it. The ones I talked to said they enjoyed it. Anything else? Oh, yes. Do you need help tomorrow night for pork chops? Tomorrow night, feeding Mission San Saba? Think you got it all? Okay. All right, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Not one good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's stand and worship and declare to the Lord we trust in you.
this to make a short story even shorter that my parents went out one night and we were told don't wrestle and you know teenage boys they're like yes ma'am we won't wrestle and they don't but we did and so we wrestled and wrestled and we knocked a, pa- a picture off the wall and um, broke the glass in it and we took the glass out thinking we'd be smooth and we put the picture back up on the wall because that's how it is right and there were two of the same prints there were owls I remember them distinctly And as my father walked through the house, he walked by them, and he stopped, and he stepped back, and he looked at one, he stepped back again, and he looked at the other, and he said, who broke the picture? And we were like, how did you know? And I'll never forget his response. He said, because I don't see my reflection in this one. And we serve a God who, when he did not see his reflection in us, gave the perfect standard so that we could be saved. So that whenever our Father looks into us, He sees a reflection of Jesus Christ. And so we can rest in Him. Let's sing this this morning.
Good morning. I'm getting smarter in my old age. I didn't show up up here this morning having to blow up some balloons. You know, last week we talked about uh, balloons and that this balloon is not serving its purpose because it doesn't have any what? It doesn't have any air in it. And so this kind of taught us that unless we are filled with something, what is it? Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit comes and fills his people so that we can um, live our lives and be what he purposed for us to be, what he created us to be. Well, this week, I decided, you know what? I had these balloons, and I've never done this before, but I looked at the instructions that came with these long, skinny balloons, and I figured out how to make a dog and a swan. I'm not really good at this, but that does sort of look like a swan. Like that. And so I spent some time creating these animals out of out of these balloons but and I'm I was I planned to really make y'all one this morning but they make a lot of noise and I'm not very good at it and it takes too long <laughs> so um, here's my question for you I said that I created these but I had a balloon to start with and I had air to start with. But when God created the world, he didn't have, there wasn't anything to start with. I want to teach you a word this morning. Let's see if y'all can say it. Say X. X. Say Nihilo. Nihilo. All right, say it together. X. You know what that means? It means out of nothing. So there was no air. There, was, there were no balloons. There was no dirt. There was no water. There was nothing. And God created everything that we can see, hear, touch, taste, smell, out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Say it again. I want you to always remember that. It's very important. We can create things, create something out of something, but only God can create ex nihilo, out of nothing. Let's pray. Father, we just worship you this morning because you are such an amazing creator God. Father, we love you. We look around us and we see the beauty that you created. And Father, we are made in your image, Lord, and we can take some of the things that you've made and create other things, but only you can create ex nihilo out of nothing. And Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. 
know that you loved us so much that in our broken state, you sent your son. Not just to sacrifice his blood, but to live among us. So that we have a savior who understands our pains. God, we worship you this morning. And we cry out to you that we need you. anyone here who believes they don't need you, God, break their hearts for the sin in their lives. Break my heart for the sin in my life, God. Because I need you.
You may be seated. If you would, please take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, and turn to the front of the Bible. We'll actually be in Genesis 1 through 3 today. won't take time to read all of the text today, uh, but that's where we will be. So if you'll turn to the front of your Bible, be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 today. I'm going to begin a sermon series that... Um, may make you not want to come back. It's called Getting Lost, Where It All Started. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, We shall never have an adequate conception of the greatness of this salvation unless we realize something at any rate of what we were before this mighty power took hold of us. Unless we realize what we would still be if God had not intervened in our lives and had rescued us. In other words, we must realize the depth of sin, what sin really means, and what it has done to the human race. James Montgomery Boyce. Without a knowledge of our unfaithfulness and rebellion, we will never come to know God as the God of truth and grace. Without a knowledge of our pride, we will never know him in his greatness, nor will we come to him for the healing we need. When we are sick physically and know that we are sick, we seek out a doctor and follow his prescription for a cure. But if we did not know we were sick, we would not seek help and might well perish from the illness. It is the same spiritually. If we think we are well, we will never accept God's cure. We do not think we need it. Instead, if by God's grace we become aware of our sickness, actually of something worse than sickness, of spiritual death so far as any meaningful response to God is concerned, then we have a basis for understanding the meaning of Christ's work on our behalf and can embrace Him as Savior and be transformed by Him. One final quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. There is no better way of testing our understanding of the Christian doctrine of salvation than to examine our understanding of the true nature of sin. So you see why the name of the sermon series is called Getting Lost. Um, Perhaps we have forgotten what it was like to be lost. Or perhaps we've Um, just gotten so accustomed to um, this sinful air that we breathe, being in a broken world like this, that we need to be reminded of the sinfulness of sin. So in this series, we're going to start at the beginning, where everything all started, where we find out how God created and what went wrong. This is where, where it all started today. But we know that it... What we talk about today has more wide-ranging effects. We're going to look at all of them as in some depth. And it will not be very comfortable. It won't be fashionable to talk about um, sin and the depth of sin. So therefore, that's why I said you, you may not want to come back. You may just want to find something else to do, some better pastor to listen to on a Sunday morning. Because what I, what I plan to do is, uh, in a manner of speaking, get us lost. 
that we might appreciate the salvation that Jesus has provided for us. Let's say a word of prayer together. Father, we're so grateful um, that having been lost, you sent your son Christ, who by his own admission, he himself said he came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, if we have forgotten our former lost condition, would you remind us? And Father, if there are those here that are currently lost, we pray that you would reveal to them their current lost condition, knowing that there is salvation in Christ. Lord, hear the light of your word, shine the light of your word deep into our hearts, to our souls. Show us where we fall short. Show us where we hold on to idols, to our own way of doing things. Show us where this story still interacts with us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you nine points this morning, nine or ten, and they all won't be long. Um, I've told you that joke before about a Puritan pastor who preached a 25-point sermon on Sunday morning, and it was like two, two and a half hours long, and he came back that night, and he said tonight's sermon will be completely pointless because he ran really long. That won't happen today. I just think that we can consolidate, can kind of coalesce all the teachings of this particular text, especially as it relates to where it all started, where it all went wrong. We can coalesce them under these particular headings. And again, they won't all be terribly long. But the first one I think we're very familiar with. First of all, that we were created by God. Adam and Eve were created by God personally. As you read in the first part of Genesis chapter 1, we're made aware that God spoke into existence all that we see. Six days, God spoke it into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. There was creation. There was not an accidental influence of impersonal, mindless processes and forces that caused an evolutionary process. That did not happen. Adam and Eve were personally created by God. No one creates themselves. We are created by God, not by ourselves, nor can we sustain ourselves. Apart from God, we would be little more than lifeless dust. We continue to exist only through God. You see in chapter 1, verse 26, God says, or Moses writes, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Not let there be, like he said with the rest of creation, he said, let us make. And so in chapter 2, verse 7, we find out that God formed Adam, the man, out of dust. And then in that same verse we find out that God breathed the life, the spirit of life, into the man. God didn't say let there be. God got his hands dirty. He personally made Adam. And then he brought the animals by and and discovered that there was no suitable helper for Adam. And so he took a rib from Adam. And then he fashioned that rib into a woman. And so we find that God says, let us make 
in our image. God created people personally. When God says that he, uh, when the phrase is used in verses 26 and 27, in our image, notice as with in comparison to how God created that the plants and the animals, he would often say, after their kind. But with humanity, he said, in our image. This speaks about the personhood of humanity, that we are created in God's image. We have personality. We're, we have spirituality, knowledge, self-determination, self-will, and we are immortal. The animals are not like this. God created us personally, but then he also created us purposefully. Purposefully. There was a plan for which, a purpose for which God created human beings. I'm going to read a few scriptures from, uh, from the Bible that talk to us about why God created us. The purpose for which we were created. Psalm 104 verses 31 to 35. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works and if you remember how Hebrew poetry, one line rhymes with another, or one line helps to inform the other. And so we see in the first part of verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. How will that happen? By the Lord rejoicing in his works. In other words, we were created for God's glory that he might rejoice in his works. Verse 32 says, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. God receives praise from humans who exist for him. He says in verse 34, may my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. God wants to be the joy of all humanity. And then in verse 35, the psalmist says, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. He imagines God having for himself a world where creation, all of it, exists only for him. Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Colossians 1, 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all were created through him and for him. We were not only created by God, we were created for God. That is why we exist. And the passage tells us why we exist for him purposefully to rule. Verse 28 of chapter 1 says, And God blessed them. This is after he created Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve were created to rule on God's behalf, under God's rule. God rules all things, but God gave them a, a space where they could rule, not on their own, but as a part of God's rule of the earth. And how is it that they were supposed to rule? The Bible tells us. Verse 30, chapter 33 of Psalms, verse 6 through 9 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. 
He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouse. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe for him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Adam and Eve were to honor God, be reverent to God in how they ruled. Psalm 95, 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. They were to rule out of worship of God. Psalm 100, 2 through 4. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We are God's servants. Adam and Eve were to rule out of service to God. Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. They were to rule out of love for God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. They were to rule for the glory and honor of God. They were created purposefully to rule, but it is all supposed to flow up to to roll up into the glory and praise and worship and reverence and awe of God. That's why they were created. That was their purpose. But they were also created for relationship. Chapter 3, verse 8, after they have already eaten the fruit and they have fallen from grace or fallen in the garden due to sin, verse 8 says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God would go and spend time with his creatures. God did not need to make them out of any sense of loneliness. He wanted to share himself with them. And so he did. He went and spent time with them. So Adam and Eve, also us, were created by God. We're created for God. We're also created by God for good. You notice in the text... And over and over in chapter 1, it says, And God saw it was good, it was good, it was good. And then on day 6, after Adam and Eve have been created, the pinnacle of his creation, and he has established his rule through them, he says it was very good. And he gave them a mission and told them to go and, and achieve this mission. And they were originally created in righteousness and holiness. And there was no reason why they weren't able to do all of the good that God had planned for them. And God commissioned them. They were commissioned by God. They were given a mission and a purpose. Chapter 1, verse 28, again, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And also in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Adam and Eve had received a commission by God. Also notice they were cared for by God. Chapter 1, verse 29, God says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree. With seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And then chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, 
You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. God provided for all of their needs. Which goes to show, again, Adam and Eve didn't provide for themselves, for their own needs. It goes to show that humanity, no matter how many strides we take and however long we're able to live and all the technology that, that we're able to produce and to give ourselves the illusion that we can, there's nothing we can't do. Humanity was created dependent upon God. Adam and Eve were commanded by God. <clears throat> Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That's the only command that God gave. Remember, God provided for all of their needs. You can eat of any tree in the garden. I've given you every plant for food. I command you not to eat of this. And God cautioned them. They were cautioned by God about the severe consequences of disobedience. Chapter 2, verse 17, after he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, he cautions them against disobedience, telling them that the consequences will be severe if they do. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God has not only cared for them by providing for them, He has cared for them by giving them a commandment that was for their good and cautioning them about the consequences for any disobedience. If you read chapters 1 and 2, you will see, and God said, and God, 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 over and over and over. It should not escape us at all that God is the one who created it all. It's for his glory. It is about him. All things come from him and through him and to him. Adam and Eve had all that they could possibly need, but then they were corrupted by sin. I won't take time to read it all. But you can find this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. The serpent, in Revelation described as Satan, the serpent of old, came to Eve and basically told her, and again, I'm not taking the time to read this this morning. He basically told her, God isn't all that he seems to you. Notice what he says to her in in verse 1 of chapter 3. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Then the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's basically telling her, God isn't who he seems to be. He's holding out on you. He's holding you back. If you will just eat this fruit, you will see things from a different perspective. 
But see, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because when you do, you'll become like him. And you'll be free from his yoke, from the burden of serving him, and he doesn't want that. Right now, this world revolves around him. Eat the fruit. Become a God like him. Call your own shots. And Eve rationalized, verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. It goes from temptation to disobedience. They were tempted. They did not know God's word well enough to sustain themselves in the temptation, they had one command that they needed to know. And they didn't know it. And they disobeyed, which led to a loss, a loss of innocence, a loss of paradise, a loss of close fellowship with God. And so God, being the good God that He is, He confronts Adam and Eve. They're corrupted by sin, but then they're confronted by God. God questions them. Verse 9, after he goes and he's walking through the garden, the man and his wife hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. God does not take sin lightly. He moves from confrontation to curse. They are cursed by God. God curses the serpent and Adam and Eve. Again, won't take the time to read this, but if you read these curses, you will find an explanation for why the world is in the broken state in which it currently is, and, and as it has been since the fall happened thousands of years ago. Then God cast them out. They were cast out by God. God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. There's some kindness here in the Lord. Verse 22, chapter 3, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree, the way to the tree of life. You see the kindness of God there. Had they taken hold of the tree of life, the fruit, and eaten it, they would have been in an irredeemable condition. Instead, he drove them out. And again, here in this text, and I didn't bring it up, there is a promise that God would do something to, to rectify the situation, to redeem those who are currently irredeemable. We've heard this story before, have we not? We have. We know it well. But there's a danger here for us. And it's because we know it. It's because we've read it before. 
We know it so well because that's where oftentimes we start our Bible reading at the beginning of the year until we reach Leviticus. And then, man, Leviticus is hard. Or Numbers. We've read it so many times. We know it so well that it has no effect on us. It's just an explanation of how the world was created and how Adam and Eve messed it all up. We'll fail to see the high-handed rebellion against the king of glory. We won't feel the loss and the shame and the heartbreak. We'll learn nothing, we'll feel nothing, and we'll change nothing. We'll continue to create our own Eden, one that reveres me and worships me and serves me and loves me and glorifies me and honors me. And we will put God out of it for daring to infringe on our happiness by wanting to be center stage. We won't put him too far out of Eden. After all, he's useful to us. Should the idols who serve us, who help us build our own Eden, have their heads and hands and feet cut off, we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways that God might do something so that we can set them back up again. We'll continue to listen to the serpent and gorge ourselves on rotting fruit that cannot deliver on its promises and cannot satisfy. While pursuing our best life now, we will actively participate in the ongoing rebellion. And we will do so while covered with the wilting fig leaves of morality, external religion, theological correctness. Convinced of our own righteousness because we've been so blessed while the world God created screams his praise and declares his glory. I know all of that sounds harsh. But I think we know this story so well that we fail to let the gravity of the story weigh on us. We know about Christ. Let me tell you why I believe a sermon series like this is necessary. I know that our country right now, we we pray for revival. We pray for repentance to take place in our land. We pray for revival here in our church, that repentance may take place here in our church. But I think if we have a shallow understanding of sin, we'll have a shallow understanding of repentance. So as we let the scriptures pull open, pull back the layers, the calluses on our heart, and we begin to see Things there that we wish was not there. We won't stop there. You know, in the second half of the summer, what I plan to do, or the second, when when I'm done with this particular part of the series, is we're going to talk about the glorious gospel. And you know, when, when we have a deeper understanding of the depths of sin, the gospel seems so much more beautiful to us and perhaps just just perhaps having been convicted of our sin and repented deep deep repentance and seeing the glorious gospel we'll be able to speak clearly to the world about sin and repentance 
and the gospel. That they might hear it, believe it as we believe it, repent of their sins, and experience a glorious awakening. Father, we are grateful to know that in the beginning you created the heaven and the earth, you created Adam and Eve, you created ex nihilo, you created personally and purposefully, you created us for a reason, you gave us a mission. Lord, we see the the depths of depravity in our world. We were honest, I think, even in our own lives, we might say, you know, that section of Romans where, where Paul says, the things that I know I should do, I don't. The things that I know I'm not supposed to do, those are the things that I do. We were honest about those things instead of perhaps hiding them and pushing them away bring them to you. We might see them for what they are, see you for who you are. We might receive healing, forgiveness. You might take us further in our faith than we ever thought possible. Lord, I can imagine here right now there may be a resistance to spending all this time talking about the depth of our sin. Lord, I get that. I, I think that there's probably something that I'd just rather stay home. We're reminded in the text this morning of your kindness and your goodness in the midst of something very ugly. Help us to trust that as your word lays open the depths of sin and perhaps exposes it in our hearts that you're doing us a kindness, that you have a purpose in it all, that Christ might be glorified. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Should the Holy Spirit have spoken to you this morning about your need for Christ, there's time this morning right now for you to come experience the healing, the forgiveness, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we all sing together.
10,000 charms. Do you know what keeps us from experiencing and really believing in our heart of hearts, deep within our soul, that that is absolutely true? That in the arms of Jesus there are 10,000 charms. It's the charms that we find outside of Him and we think they're better and more great than that He is. That, that's it. As we have a time of prayer together, just want to uh, let you know about a few a few things. Um, my mother-in-law, Stephanie's mom, has contracted cancer. Um, she's going to start treatment here next week, right? She's got a port in. Um, so family's fighting, but we need your prayers. Um, deacons, um, my brain's stopped working. You probably thought that before the sermon started, but... Um, who am I forgetting on, on uh, we need to pray for? Kay. Kay Clancy. Yes, Kay is, uh, is not doing well. She's in a hospital in uh, Houston. Sue, do you have any update on, on uh, Kay? No change. So she's intubated and, and sedated. So not. Yes, the pneumonia that she has is not getting any better. Um, anybody else we need to pray for? Anybody else on our list that we need to update? We do have a praise. Um, John has put up with Mary Catherine for 50 years. Amen. Did I say that right? Okay. <laughs> Partying too hard last night. Huh? Okay. Well, on, to end on a more serious note, let's stand. We'll have a, a brief time of prayer. Then we're going to say the Great Commission together and be dismissed. Father, we do lift up those <clears throat> that were mentioned and those that weren't. Um, Lord, we do pray that your hand would be upon Gail, uh, that you would heal her body. I pray um, for all of us in the family that you might sustain us with uh, the grace to, to, to be strong, to know how to uh, serve her well, to love her well, uh, to serve and love each other well. We pray for Kay Clancy, and God, this does not seem like uh, things are going well at all for her, but we, we again acknowledge that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King of glory. What you have created, what you have knit together um, in her mother's womb, you know her full well, and you know what she needs, and we pray that you would lay your hand upon her and heal her body. Um, we do pray, God, that as we leave here today, that we be reminded um, that there are so many charms that want to draw our attention away from Christ. Lord, show, show them to us for what they really are, that we might see our Savior for who He really is. We pray it in His name. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. God bless.